let us pray. King of glory, we come before you today, thanking you for your love and for your anointing upon the lives of each and every one of us. As your word comes to us in our homes, we ask for your anointing upon our homes right now. Every corner of our home be blessed with your presence as the word comes forth. Every member of our family be blessed as the word comes forth now. Take full control, Lord. Take glory as we continue to depend upon you and rely on you. Minister to our hearts. Teach us your word. Bless us with your word. Anoint us with your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give God a clap of praise where you are. Hallelujah. Amen. Just raise your hands and declare, I am blessed. If you are with not if you are not on your own, tell your family members, tell them you are they are blessed. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I bless you all. You are blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Just let me receive your blessing now. Just bless me where you are. Praise God as the word comes forth now. Our theme today is glorify, glorify my name. Glorify my name. Praise the Lord. And our text comes from St. John's Gospel, chapter 17. The whole of the chapter is very important, but we just read the first 11 verses today. So Jesus is talking to God the Father to glorify his name. For the last two Sundays, we have looked closely at the words that Jesus spoke in John's Gospel, chapter 14. Words like, let not your hearts be troubled. Words like, if you love me, keep my commandments. And we examined two things in the last two weeks. One of them was, I am the way. It's time to move into the supernatural. And last week, we examined the theme the spirit besides us. So this morning we jump to chapter 17. And our attention is directed to the first 11 verses, as I said earlier on. The disciples in chapter 17 are listening to Jesus speak. Last week I reminded you about John's unique way in terms of understanding the Holy Spirit in terms of understanding our relationship with Jesus Christ. And one of the unique things I said last week about John's writing is that the, the writer of the Gospel of St. John, he focuses on the intimacy, the oneness with God and Christ and the believer. He draws us very close to the inner circle of the Trinity. And that's unique, friends, for us to understand how much God loves us, how much God loves us. And even as we are looking at this text today, it is a reminder that we are loved by the Lord. Just lift up your hands and declare at home, Jesus loves me. 
tell your neighbor, Jesus loves you. Praise the Lord. In John chapter 17, the disciples are listening to Jesus. His words are not directed to them. The Bible tells us that Jesus lifted his eyes up to heaven and he speaks to the heavenly father. My friends, you would be amazed when you lift up your heads, the revelation that God would give you. When you lift up your eyes unto the Lord, Hallelujah. The psalmist declares, I lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It is an attitude of dependency, an attitude of trust, believing that you will not take life into your own hands, but you would let the Lord lead your life. You would let the Lord lead you and direct you. And so Jesus lifts up his eyes to heaven and speaks to the Father, and the disciples are listening as Jesus is praying. Oh, how wonderful it is sometimes when we just keep still in the presence of God. They listened as he prayed for them. They listened as he prayed for us. They listened as he prayed to the Father. And so unlike other times, as we can see in other parts, other chapters of John's gospel, unlike other times in John 17, there is no time for them to ask questions. There is no time for them to interrupt Jesus as he was praying to the Father. Because as we can record in quite a few chapters, they have interrupted Jesus when he was speaking. For example, in John 14, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas said, how can we know the way? But here, it is the only prayer that is recorded with so much detail that the disciples have got to remain and just watch and listen to what Jesus was saying in communicating to the Father. The entire gospel and chapter of um, John 17 is divided into three sections. Section one, Jesus prays to be glorified. Section two, Jesus prays for his disciples. And section three, Jesus prays for all believers. I will focus today on three themes that I think emerge from the prayer of Jesus. And they are glorification, knowledge, and unity. Glorification, knowledge, and unity. Glorification. In the fifth century AD, there was a bishop of Alexandria whose name was Clement. He said that this prayer in John 17, Jesus was acting like a high priest for his people. Ever since then, this has been known as Jesus' highly 
priestly prayer. Jesus' highly priestly prayer. That's a wonderful way for us to think about how we should hear this prayer of God, the Son, to God the Father. Jesus' highly priestly prayer. Praise the Lord. There are least we can say some theological background to this, which I will not bother you with now, but just briefly to say, in the days of the Old Testament, the priests would be in the temple and they will pray. They will not enter the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest entered the Holy of Holies and that was once a year. And that was for the atonement. Atonement once a year sacrifice. The atonement. And the high priest, only the high priest offered that prayer. And so, in a sense, what Clement was trying to say here is that Jesus has offered the prayer of atonement. Atonement, if you cut it down gently, atonement at one moment. So Jesus had put us at one, hallelujah, with God. He has done it once and for all. There is no more sacrifices to be made. Jesus, the great high priest, is making this sacrifice once and for all to bring us at one with God with God. So no other sacrifice is needed. In this prayer, Jesus first prays for himself. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. To glorify is to give esteemed honor. To glorify is to give praise and adoration and appreciation. Hallelujah. Jesus in the high priestly prayer is praying first for himself. The hour has come. Since you have given him authority, he's saying to the Father, over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Jesus also defines eternal life in this prayer, which we, you can find in verse 3. But we will come to that. The hour has come, Jesus said. It may be very important at this time for us to remind ourselves that quite a few times in the Gospels, Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. One of the examples we have again in the Gospel of John, was when he went to the wedding in Cana and there was insufficient wine and his mother asked him to do, to make some more wine. Before he did, Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. When the religious leaders tried to seize him and, and stone him, they were not able to because he said his hour has not yet come. But in our text today, Jesus says the hour has come. 
Just raise your hands and shout glory. Raise your hands and shout hallelujah. The hour has come. The great hour to which the eternal clock has been set was the hour when the Son of God would be crucified on that cross. Another aspect of John's gospel is that he links glorification, glorifying Jesus with the cross, with the cross, with sacrifice, with God giving his son for salvation. And Jesus said in John 10, 45, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. So the glorification is not about putting himself up in being proud and pompous, but it's about sacrifice. It's about going to the cross for the salvation of everyone. Father, the hour has come, your son, glorify, glorify him. Praise the Lord. To glorify is about giving honor. <clears throat> As I said earlier, I want to glorify. It's about others seeing, others knowing, others taking notice of. But we can see throughout the Gospels, Jesus has been glorified because God has been using him for his glory. Glorify is a public thing, not a private thing. So Jesus is asking to be glorified so that his glory may be seen by others. Another in important glorification story we have in the Gospels is that of the transfiguration. And in seeing his glory, they will worship him. And if in worshiping the, the, the Father, you worship in the Son. But Jesus connects this glorification with the cross and salvation. It's about us glorifying his name, encourage to be worshipers, encourage to be worshiping him, the Lord, our God. The glory of God has got to be manifested. Amen? The glory of God has got to be manifested. In the last two weeks, we have reminded ourselves that our temple, our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Our temple, our body is the temple where the Lord dwells, where the Holy Spirit resides. This glory, hallelujah, has to descend and fall on somewhere. This glory has a place that it needs to rest. Praise God. The word glory appears 402 times in the Bible. Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord in Isaiah 6. Ezekiel saw the glory of the Lord in Ezekiel 10. Moses built the tabernacle and the glory of God came and rested upon it. Solomon built the temple and God's glory came, my friends, and rest upon the temple. Jesus was the manifestation of the glory of God. Today, he calls us, hallelujah, to manifest the glory of God, to be available that God's glory would be shown to the world.
glorification, knowledge, and unity. Let me quickly move on to knowledge. How does John define eternal life? John wants us to understand that we can only understand eternal life by having a relationship with God and with Jesus. We need to know the Lord for ourselves. Hence, in John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, you have to be born again. You have to be born again. You have to accept the Lord as your savior and friend. You have to know about Jesus. You have to know about me. I would reveal myself to you and you would accept me into your life. I pray that someone listening today would understand that being a child of God is about having a deeper spiritual knowledge, wisdom, insight about Jesus Christ. Not head knowledge, but heart knowledge, so that you respond from the depths of your heart, amen, to Jesus Christ. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. Recall in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman. Jesus knew everything about her. Everything he knew about her. But before the Samaritan woman, in John's Gospel chapter 2, we are reminded that Jesus knows everyone and he knows everything about everyone. And guess what? You don't need to tell Jesus anything. As you are listening to me now, I want to assure you, you cannot run, you cannot hide. Jesus knows everything about you. He has the full knowledge about you, where you live, your address, your postcode, your names, no matter how many names you have, Jesus knows them all what you're going through, your feelings, your emotions. And sometimes we think, Jesus knows all about our trials. He knows everything. He has the, the full knowledge. Praise the Lord. The Gospel of John specializes in that knowledge of God. But it links knowledge and love. The agape, the phileo with the gnosko, which is the knowledge, the knowing. If we want to, if we want love to remain high, if we want others to understand us better, then we have to do the best we can so that we can be lovable, in the sense that we can be lovable people. Many times Jesus told his disciples, love one another as I have loved you. One cannot deeply love that which one does not know. Knowledge about God, knowledge about Jesus is very important so we can grow in our relationship with him. And knowing depends upon authentic relationship and regular encounter with the beloved. 
Is it any wonder, my friends, why some of the great examples we have about discipleship in John's gospel are about the Samaritan woman, the blind man, Mary and Thomas. The Samaritan woman in chapter four, the blind man in chapter nine, Mary in chapter 12, and Thomas, of all people we can say, in chapter 19 and chapter 20. What do they all have in common, you might ask? They participated in ongoing relationship and encounter with Jesus. Their discourse with Jesus gave them knowledge. We have to be reading the word of God, the Bible, so that we can grow deeper in the things of God. We can have a deeper insight in the things of God. The Samaritan woman and the blind man had a lengthy conversation or dialogue with Jesus. And as they did, they understood Jesus more and more. Hallelujah. To the point where they knew him and understood that he is the source of their lives and he loves them. They had the knowledge of him. No wonder the woman went and said, come and see a man who has told me everything I've done, who knows everything about me. The knowledge we need of God would help us and lead us to worship him and testify to others about him. Mary is described as one whom Jesus loved in John 11, 5. And Jesus makes it clear that she and her brother Lazarus and her sister Mary, you know, regularly spent time together with him. Thomas may be less obvious here because we all remember Thomas about being the unbelieving Thomas. But there is more to Thomas than that. Praise God. He sticks with Jesus even when he discerns that there is trouble. He sticks with Jesus. And I believe that Jesus never forgot that. He asks questions when he doesn't understand. Like, how can we know the way? Where are you going? But when Lazarus died, and when they were going to visit Lazarus, even though he was in the grave. The disciples were hesitant, but Thomas was the only one who said in 1116, let us go with him. If we are to die with him, let us die with him. And I believe Jesus never forgot that. So it might be very interesting that, you know, Jesus had that in mind. That's why we are told in John 20 that when Jesus went the second time to meet the disciples, the Bible tells us that this time Jesus appeared for Thomas. Jesus appeared for Thomas. Thomas said, I will not believe until I touch him and see him. And Jesus appeared for the sake of Thomas. And this has led me to understand that we should not be so quick to judge, not be too judgmental, not be too quick to dismiss somebody, even if 
they make a mistake, even if something goes wrong. I think in this instance, Jesus gave Thomas what I refer to as an overall assessment. And I want to encourage each and every one of you today and myself to be in an attitude of giving, having an overall assessment of people, which I, I want to say have a, have a glorified mind. That's my words. A, a mind that is not judgmental, a mind that glorifies God in what you do. Oh yes, he said, unless I touch, unless I see, but that does not make him a bad person. But Jesus remembered, oh, this was the guy that said to me, hey, I will go even if I have to die with you. And when he experienced the glory in the full capacity, when Jesus appeared especially for him, Thomas declared, my Lord and my God. May someone who has some doubts, Seek more knowledge of God that you would declare like Thomas, my Lord and my God. And we swiftly now move over to unity. Jesus prayed, I pray that they all may be one. Unity is very important. And a lot of times we apply this to the ecumenical movement, whereby we want to encourage churches to work together, for churches to come together. And in some parts of the world, it has been demonstrated well. Like in Zambia, you have the United Church of Zambia. In India, you have the United Church of South India, right? All the churches have come together. But we still have a lot of denominations, Methodist, Anglican, Roman Catholic, but of course, united reform of which we are. And it is this unity that Jesus is praying for all Christians, all his people to be one. What we try to do today is to encourage each other to focus on what unites us more than what separates us. Because sometimes it's just a little understanding of scripture or doctrine that makes churches have denominational labels. But I think it's not only about churches and denominations that I want to focus this unity on. I want to focus this unity on breaking down barriers in our postmodern world, breaking down barriers in our postmodern era, racial barriers, you know, cultural barriers, you know, gender barriers so that people can appreciate and love one another in Jesus' name. So many things can cause disunity. And sometimes it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So I encourage you to be an ambassador, a glorified ambassador of the gospel of Christ, to be one that promotes unity in your home, in your church, in your neighborhood, in your community, among your family, near and far, just be somebody that will be an ambassador for unity. 
how can we accomplish unity? I'm going to briefly give you three practical steps to achieve unity. Unity should start with you. Unity should start with me. So I encourage us all to be proactive. And to be proactive means take the first step. I pray that they all may be one. We have to stop doing and saying things that cause and perpetuate disunity among us, among your family, among your work colleagues. Be the first to act. Take the love to them. Amen? Take the love to them. You can turn to your family members now and tell them, I love you no matter what. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. You see they are smiling already. Amen? So be, take the initiative. Secondly, pull together as a team. Amen? It's not only about you. Life is not only about you. The church is not only about you. Your workplace is not only about you. Amen? Your family is not only about you. Be, be aware of the, the, the common goal, the common purpose, the common vision that is God-given, that is God-driven. Amen? Even though you may ask questions, but be in line with your the aim, the goal, the, the vision of your family, the, the vision of your workplace, the vision of your church, the vision of whatever organization you belong to and commit to. Just pull together as a team. Amen? We have to keep moving on. Thirdly, we have to keep moving on. Don't give up. Don't give up. And the secret is for you and for me not to give up. Unity is not easy. Hallelujah. Most of us have not yet learned how to disagree in love or how to love those with whom we disagree. Don't take things personal. Wherever you are, be it church, be it home, be it workplace, be it family, wherever you are, don't take things personal. Keep on moving on. Forget what is past, St. Paul says, and press on towards your goal to win the prize for which God has called you heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen? Keep on moving on. And so, my friends, glorification, knowledge, and unity. Three distinct yet important teachings that we have received from today. Let us allow ourselves to glorify the name of the Lord every day, every time. Let us adore him. Let us praise him. Let us focus on who he is and give him the glory for he is worthy. God bless you. God bless me. God bless us all as we continue to journey into the future with a desire to move into the realm of the supernatural. But may God help us to lift up our heads, to lift up our hearts, no matter what we go through, to focus on Jesus Christ, the Lord, our Savior. Amen. Just bow your heads with me today. If you 
sometimes have allowed the pleasures of life to overtake you and to squeeze that glorifying God out of you. If you have not allowed yourself to receive the knowledge that you need to receive by reading the word of God, by being in tune with the Holy Spirit, if you've not allowed yourself to be that ambassador of unity wherever you are, just release yourself to the Lord today. If you have not yet accepted Jesus into your life, you now have a wonderful opportunity to do so. And say, Lord, come into my heart. There is room in my heart for you. Come, Lord Jesus. Forgive me of all my sins. I repent of all my sins. I will glorify your name more than ever before. I will let the world know that you are the resurrection and the life. You are the bread of life. You are my provider. You are my banner. You are my shepherd. I will sing your praises. May it be so. In Jesus' name we pray.